You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. My voice, I taught a class yesterday with no microphone for five hours. And then uh, we get up to kind of preach today. And, uh, you know, you have a microphone, but that doesn't mean it's going to hold out. And so it's, it's trying to go there. I can feel it. But I want you to know that right now is my biggest smile. And so this is the face that God gave me. It doesn't mean I'm not happy inside. doesn't mean I'm not glad to be here. It's just this is it. This is what it looks like, you know. People are like, oh, is he mean? Is it, what's his problem? And it's like, he, and there's no problem. I came into the world like this. This is it. My, and, and, and on a normal day, my voice sounds like Nicolas Cage, so don't come up to me afterwards and be like, hey, uh, you sound like Nicolas Cage. Duh, dude, I know I told you earlier. Don't say it to me later, you know? So, yeah, my wife and I, we've, had, we've been able to spend the last six or seven years just loving young adults, pouring into the next generation. It's been the favorite thing that we've been able to do. Uh, Pastor Mark said, my day job now is executive pastor at One Church Home. Love that body of believers in Fairview. And Pastor Mark uh, was with us just a couple weeks ago, preaching and bringing a strong word to our congregation, and they loved it. And hopefully, hopefully, hopefully today we can walk out of this place changed by the sun. Amen? Amen. So I've had this word on my heart for the better part of five or six years, and I've, I've implemented this word into some other teachings and some other um, sermons and things like that, but I've but I've never actually built a sermon around it. it. Just kind of finds its way into places because it works. And uh, today is the first time that I've ever kind of put it together to try to to try to articulate uh, with this idea of a legacy of obedience and what obedience the legacy that it leaves. So if there's a title for this sermon, which there kind of is, it's called the legacy of obedience. My, 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 uh, the place I love to go to when I'm teaching, I love to open the Bible up and I love to go line by line through scripture. That would be what I'm drawn to. So when I teach topically, it's a little bit different. So, uh, because I, because I'm used to opening up the Bible and just like unloading and unpacking. So what that means for you is today we're going to jump around the Bible and there's going to be a lot of it. So pastor Mark already said to, uh, put your seatbelt on and get ready for that. And I just want to know if we can just take a quick second before we dive into all of this and just go, this right here is done and said and written. Amen. That this is the authority, that everything it says that you are, everything that it says that, that God is, and, and everything that you're actually called to can be referenced and found right here in this thing. And, and so I, I, what I don't want to do, because uh, we as charismatics have, we, we have this innate ability to go as the wind blows, and that's not always a good thing, because listen to me now, uh, everything is spiritual, but it's not always the Holy Spirit. So, so we have to know, we have to know what God's saying. We have to know what God's saying, so that's why we reference this. It's the safest place to play ball, and the most dangerous at the same time, right? Oh, I'll give it all, I'll give it all. Oh, really? Really? Isaiah said that. Okay, God. Got some coals on the lips immediately after that. It was different. Weird. Okay. Here we go. About four, five years ago, I was um, part of helping, leading, uh, strategizing, and then, and, then, and then going out into the Bonnaroo Music Festival and, and, and leading teams that would go out and minister to people 
all over the place. And over the course of that, the three years that I was a part of it, we saw a lot of people come to Jesus. We saw a lot of freedom happen. We saw, saw salvation, baptisms. Uh, we, saw, we saw demons manifest and be, and be rebuked and removed out of people. We saw a lot of really incredible things out there. It was, it was awesome. And I think the groups are still doing that every year out there. It's as big as anointed. Uh, but what we would do beforehand, before we go out into the field, taking the work into the field to go look for the harvest and go see what God might have for us, you know, we would get into a room and we would, uh, we, there's, a, there's a church out there, a church of Christ who lets us play worship all night and all day for the whole festival. I don't know if anybody in this room was raised Church of Christ. That's just a little bit different, but they allow us to do that, pray and intercede 24 three or whatever it is. So, we, so we're out there. That's, that's kind of, come on, man. That's funny. Loosen up. Back rows, like, I'm not with this dude. First three rows, they're good. Like back there, like whatever. So, so we have, so, 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 so we are, we, we are, we're praying and, and worshiping. And I, and I, just this thought hit me like a ton of bricks in this room. And I, I just thought to myself, not one person here knows why God has them here. Not like on the earth, but in that moment. Like what God is really going to do with their life in this moment. Like they've said yes to the idea. I'll go out and I'll minister. I'll do that thing. But when you step out and to do things in the name of Jesus, you have no idea what God might do in your obedience. You know what I'm saying? And so, so I just thought to myself, as I look around the room and immediately David, King David popped into my head. And we're going to get to that in just a second. And I thought, man, this is just like that in my opinion. And over the years, as I've, as I've worked with young adults and, 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 you know, over and over again, people come and they, and they say, I, you know, I feel like God is doing this. And I feel like God's doing that. Or like this one, almost half this room, I bet you could say, God moved me to Nashville. And, uh, and I know why this is what he's doing here with me. And this is why I'm here. And I teach and I dance and I do underwater basket weaving with the little sisters of the poor. And I, you know, and I, and I do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, no, you don't. Like those are things you love to do. That might be the way God gifted you. That might be the way that he's built passion into you, but you have no idea why you're here. You just answered the call to come here. Now you've got to find out what God's going to do with you here. And as charismatic people, we have a hard time with that. We have that, that doesn't resonate because it's always go. It's always go. And then it's like spin out, tires spinning in the, in, in the you know, in the, the Murray County mud. It's just, it's like, you know what I'm saying? And we just kind of get worn out and, and, and then we stop. Well, where did all that start to come? Well, I'm going to argue today, as the great John Piper would say, that God's build, God builds on opportunities, that he builds on our calling, that he builds on our responsibilities in the kingdom. As we obey him, he builds on the last thing that he told us to do, if we do it. I'm going to argue that as you obey, when he speaks a new thing, God doesn't bring you to a halt in the old thing. He builds on the last thing. If God just changed course on you and threw you know, away everything that you brought you to this moment, he would be a wasteful God. He's not a wasteful God. And he uses everything. Amen, somebody. So, Lord, we need your help. All right, so let's build, build this case a little bit. 
The, the thing that probably stops the course of the Christian life and the calling is the doubt that steps in when, when things start to slow down. It's like we get fired up. We think, okay, this is what God's asked me to do. This is what I'm stepping into. I know I love this. And then we, we meet resistance. And all of a sudden, this kind of this doubt starts in our head. And, and people go, I don't know where that comes from. And I would just say, I do. It starts in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. And this is the moment where the serpent, this, Satan has this, this conversation with Eve. And he said, he said, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. The very first thing the enemy does is get you to doubt about God and what he said. Did he say that? Did God indeed say it? Did he really do it? I mean, you know, it might have been bad pizza. It's never bad Taco Bell, though. It's bad pizza. It might have been bad pizza. Are you sure? Are you sure God said that? I mean, did God really say that? And then he gets you to believe that God's holding things back for you in the process. What did he say? He said, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Like that, that God, God's holding back enlightenment. Listen, we don't serve a Hindu God. We, we, serve, we serve the God of Jacob. Yeah, we, we, we serve a big, perfect, powerful, organized God who has given his spirit to his church and empower them to do big and mighty things. Uh, you, you'll have enlightenment. Your eyes are going to open. Listen, you need to understand something. You said I could. <laughs> this isn't for show. The Enneagram is set to kill your soul. It is designed by the devil to get inside of you and make you think you're God. It gets you to focus on yourself and it, it, it turns you against everything negative, everything, every person's negative and step, instead of stepping into that and raising somebody up and helping them. Here's the other thing. If you're clay and he's the potter, when does, when does the potter stop molding clay? It doesn't happen in a personality test. He said, you will be like God. He said, that's why God doesn't want you, because you'll be like him. What is the problem with our day? It's the separation of man and God in a way that's not meant to happen. Like we are supposed to be submitted under him, humbling ourselves under him, not even like him. And so when we, when we search for perfection, it's only found in one thing. It's only found in one person. It's found in, in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He's the one that does that. It's not ever going to be, you're never going to find the answers in those tests. You can't take and put somebody from the Bible's personality from a, from a, from a test. You can't do that because that's unbiblical because it's not in the Bible. But we've been confused by it and we've listened to heretics tell us that it's okay. We can't, church, there are voices and doctrines of demons coming into the house that are confusing us and it all sounds really good. 
but it's loaded up right here, how we should act and what we should do and what we're designed to do and who we're supposed to follow and how he's going to shape it and how he's going to do it. Come on, somebody. That stuff makes me so upset. And I'm sorry because I don't know you and you don't know me, but I'm smiling. <laughs> the other thing is, is we're not pantheists. We're not panantheists. We, we don't look at the tree and go, that's God. We say, no, look at that beautiful tree that God created, right? So, so this stuff seeps into the church house. This is why Paul was so adamant about it. This is why Jude spent time on it. This is why James got in on it. Like, be careful what seeps into the church house and call it as it is. Romans 16 tells us to mark that false doctrine and stay away from it. Okay. God has already given in abundance and gave Adam and Eve everything they needed. And they could turn and they could look at that beautiful creation, but that, that doubt seeped into their hearts, it seeped into their minds, and they went for the thing that literally would kill the life that they knew. So the very first sin came from a lie about what God had spoken. Just the same way God has spoken things into hearts and minds in this room, the very same thing has happened to you. If it happened to them and it's in this book, then we need to pay attention to it. If it happened to them, it's going to happen to you. And when it does, there is no blaming the devil. I have rid that of my life. Do not blame the devil. It is us that allows it to happen. We need to repent when we do, and we need to stand up, and we need to go forward again. We need to move forward through it. Listen, this is just a tip. This is not written down. I was kind of looking at my notes saying, where did I get that? But for the better part of 4,000 years, Satan and all of his minions have been watching human nature. They understand how we tick. They pay attention to it. And they know that most of it involves ourself. That somehow greed and idolatry is going to sneak up in there. And so what they try to do is they try to play to the, to the vices that are our human nature, our total depravity, and are, are, are wanting to take control of everything and are wanting to be glorified and all of, all of that kind of stuff. And it separates us out from that. And that's how, that's how he gets in. So you just got to know that as clever as he is, uh, we sing a song that says, you have no rival. God doesn't have a rival in Satan. There, that's not what it is. This, is. this is a guy that's calculated and he comes correct, but he's a liar. And the, de the devil is a liar. Jesus told us this in John 8. John, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews who have um, nothing but hate for Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. They want to do all of this stuff. And they say, man, we're, a, we're, we're children of, of Abraham. You know, Father Abraham and many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Yeah. Okay. So now we're preaching to the choir. All right. And Jesus said, you're, you're, not, you're not a son of Abraham. He said, you are, a you, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, talking about Adam and Eve, and he does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Sonship or daughtership, if you will, is predicated on conduct. You, you, you respond by who you serve, who you su su sit under. 
And he's saying here, Jesus is saying, your conduct is of the devil. He is your father. He's the father of lies and he is the father of you. But in turn, we take a look and we look through scripture and we say, okay, then what are we supposed to do? So the word manifest kind of, it seems like it comes into play here. And this is another one of those words that have crept its way into the, the church house and it's gone un, unchecked and, and, and it's gross and it's, and it's weird because most of the time it's talking about my manifesting something and that's nothing more than new age witchcraft. What it is, what we're trying to do is we're trying to actually have the Holy Spirit come through us and then our life is a reflection of what Jesus would have us do. So we become a reflection of Jesus as he shapes us, which by the way, doesn't come to full fruition until we see Jesus face to face, the Bible says. And so Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, Paul puts it like this. He said, therefore, be imitators of God. That's one way. We see what is in scripture. We can, we can act. We can start to behave by what we see Jesus do because Jesus said what? I am a reflection. I am a reflection of God. Like, like I, you want to know what he looks like? You look at me. We can be imitators of God as dear children. So he's our father and we can be his dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Literally our action and the way we conduct our life, it gives off a smell to God. And, and when it looks like him, it smells delicious. So we have to be able to look at ourselves in moments like this and we have to be able to take it serious and know that, you know, God, God, God's on the other end of it going, come on, baby, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, and we repent and we take a step and we keep going. So we don't want to be a Christian, beloved. We do not want to be a Christian who walks in the blood when it's going about going to heaven, but doesn't walk in the freedom of the blood when the devil is attacking. What I'm saying here is, and I tell our young adults this all the time, so some of them are sitting in the room and they've heard this a lot and they're just tired of it, but one day it will land. One day it will land. Jesus is great as Savior because you get to go to heaven, but he will change your life when you make him Lord. It's a totally different experience. And the two in Scripture go hand in hand. They're always right there. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior, that is life change. So we become imitators of our Lord. That's good. Now, question, really question two here is this, and, and we're going to get into three, three big topics, I think, that, are, that, that will really show us this in Scripture, what I'm talking about and how we, we kind of build in our calling. How do we know that God builds on the call when we obey the, it's when we obey the last thing? David and Goliath's story, you, many of you know that, the shepherd boy, David. I would say this, this story releases victory. 1 Samuel 17, 17, then Jesse said to his son, David, take now for your brothers an ephah of dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their uh, thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. And the first thing that David does is he, he said, okay, dad, like I'm going to go take care of that. So I'm going to obey. I'm going to step into this. This is shepherd boy David. This is not King David. This is shepherd boy David. So he's a young man, probably uh, in puberty, if you will. And he is, he is obeying his father, taking stuff to his brothers who were fighting on the front line against the Philistines. It'd also be a Jewish commandment for him to honor his dad with that, to obey his father. You know, I mean, it, it's just, it, it falls in line with the obedience that God set up first. There's a structure. You know, God set the tone. 
And then, and then Jesse's stewarding his son and tells his son what to do. And then his son goes and takes care of his brothers. There's a structure there. It's really cool. So David's job is to deliver these pleasantries to his brothers on the front line. And here's what I meant earlier when I was talking about Bonnaroo in the room not knowing what was going to happen next. And this is what I mean. David, in his obedience, had no idea what God was going to do with his life. It was going to change in this very moment. And he had, he had no idea. And we look at it like, oh, that's a really great Bible story. And some of us had like velvet, you know, things that we, we learned this from. But, but here's, what you didn't, here's what you didn't learn in that is that when David heard the mocking of the Philistine, of the, of the Israeli army, the people of God, of Israel, it, it, it grew something up in him. He was like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would talk like that about God and God's chosen people? Who is this person that is not chosen who thinks he can come against us like this? He's like, man, I'll step up to this challenge. He hears there's a pretty good, there's a pretty good prize at the end of it too. It might've motivated him a little bit. That's a, that's a different sermon. But he goes over and he gets some stones, five of them, puts them in his pocket and he chooses one of them out of there and he slings it at, the, at, the, at that giant and the giant gets hit in the head and he falls and perceived dead. And then David fulfills his promise, I'm gonna cut this dude's head off. And he takes the, this is like somebody going over to your house and beating you at video games at your house on your thing. <laughs> he, took his, he, took, he took his sword out and took that bro's head off and brought the head back. I know, kind of graphic. They don't tell you that in Sunday school, but that's what happened. But that's what happened. And he showed up to deliver bread, deliver bread and cheese and some grain. And he came back with a head of a giant that, that, took, that, that, that sent his life into a different trajectory altogether. And here's, here's the other thing I just want you to know, that this, this little shepherd boy, we're talking about a worshiper, a, a worshiper who sat under the stars with his harp and he wrote and sang songs about a great God who won many battles for his people before him. He knew who God was. He knew the history of God. He knew the history of God with his people. He was confident in that. He was confident in who he was because he was part of that lineage. And he knew that he wasn't just hearing about it. He was going to see God do it again. So when he went into the battlefield, he was able to stand up and do something incredible because David knew who he was and whose he was. And that has to be in us. They said earlier, you're chosen, they're, they're, you're, you're, you're part of this thing that goes back 2,500 years and then, and then with the Jewish people before that, serving a great and mighty God. And, and, we, and we, we can't have this weak-minded, non-powerful church anymore. We have to be open to the ways of God in our lives. We ought to be obedient so we can have the touch of heaven that pushes us to be obedient people and, and miracle-working people on the Father's behalf for our, His glory and our good. Apostle Peter in Acts 2 says this. Well, this is what happened. The Apostle Peter, Acts chapter 2. I would say this brings salvation. This obedience brings salvation. Acts 1, 4, 5, and 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So this is 100, 120 people or so are going to go into this upper room. 500 people seeing the resurrected Jesus. Another sermon for another day. 120 stay obedient. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
I just don't know. Like we get we get the window of the other side. Of, you know, like we we know what it what happened. But I, these guys, man, they just had to be mesmerized. Like I don't know what this is about, but this could be pretty good. And and like I just wish that we had that the do it again, Lord. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witness to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus gives this command to stay in Jerusalem. So it's a choice to be obedient to Jesus or not. Because just in a second, they see Jesus go up into the clouds. They're kind of stuck looking up in the clouds like, oh my gosh, like that was wild. And two rows just show up behind him like, why are you guys gazing? Like he told you what to do. Like He's going to come back the same way. For a promise that will bring power when it comes upon you to be my witness, which actually translates to martyr. So that, that doesn't sound great, but at the same time, like I've got to have something in me if I'm going to do this thing for Jesus. They're going to do the same thing that they, to, to, to me that they did to him. If you obey, you will receive. That just seems to be the way it works. Acts 2, 1 through 4. Now they're in that upper room. When the day of Pentecost had finally come, they were with one accord in one place, unity in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as fire, uh, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so what happens next is they, they, they you know, the Holy Spirit's on them. They're, they're speaking in tongues and they, they, they flow out onto the street. And this is, this, this is where it gets kind of wild. This is where it all changes up. This is where theology really matters. They are out on the street. They're speaking in tongues. And then uh, they are, they're at the Feast of Pentecost. But also there are a ton of Jewish people in town from all over the area that have come that have come to Jerusalem to partake in Pentecost and they come with their own dialect, their own tongue. And they begin to hear their own tongues from this group of people. And they begin to freak out, but it starts bearing witness. The Holy Spirit now is bearing witness to them. See, the Spirit of God is now not only moving in believers, but he's confronting unbelievers. See, what happens when you're obedient is, is something that thing in you confronts unbelievers. The, the Bible says that, that the, the world does not know what the Holy Spirit is. They do not know him. They do not know him. But the first time you encounter him is when he starts to convict your heart. Sometimes that comes through preaching. Sometimes that comes through teaching. Sometimes that comes with just a conversation and a witness. Sometimes that comes like a bolt of lightning in the middle of the night and wakes somebody up and they get on their knees and repent. But the Holy Spirit confronts and he is doing that in this moment. Acts 2.14, now Peter, remember Peter, he's a, he, was a, he, was a tough, he was a tough nut to crack there for a while. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Now let me tell you about Peter. Here's a, here's a guy who has a strong history of opening his mouth when he shouldn't. But the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of his life because he was obedient to be in that upper room. And after the upper room, that experience could have just been theirs, but it flooded out onto the street. And now unbelievers are taking that all in. His obedience goes from the upper room to the street and now up onto a platform that Jesus said, I'm going to build the church on you, Peter. 
And this is his prophetic moment as he steps into this because it's power on his life. This is life change. This is God building on obedience and the last thing that he called Peter to do. God does not do this with your life. And I'm talking to everybody in this room, but in particular, young people who are trying to figure out why am I here? God doesn't go. He doesn't just keep turning corners like this on you all the time. That's not what he does. He's out in heaven with a, you know, with a, with a Nintendo controller doing this with your life. And you look like Frogger trying to cross. That's not what you're doing. That's not what he's doing. He's building on the last thing he told you to do. And some of us are spinning our tires in Murray County mud. We haven't done anything. We, the last thing you told us to do is get in that car, but we, we have not figured out how to get it moving yet. And that's okay. We'll get there in just a second. But this is God building on obedience and the last thing he called them to do. Peter was a special guy because he got brought into the, the inner circle. He was one of Jesus' top three. You know, I always tell people, you, you all got small groups, like life groups, home groups? Listen, here's the thing about life groups. There's always like one or two people in that group that need to get out of the group and start their own group. And those are the, that's like the top two. Those are like the people that have been brought in a little bit closer. Like the leader can kind of share a little bit with them on a deeper level. It's time to get that person out there discipling other people and shepherding other people now. So I don't want to break up your philosophy, but that's kind of the point of this whole thing is that Peter was brought in closer, him, James, and John. They, they were brought in closer to Jesus. They saw miracles. They saw the, the transfiguration. God, Jesus showed them things, but he was on the inside and then he denied Jesus and then Jesus had to reinstate him, but now he's being filled and preaching, spirit-filled preaching, a message that literally, literally changes the world. This is where the church was born. And Peter got to preach that message, Acts 2.41. It said, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, three, not three, not 300, 3,000 souls were added to them. Your obedience entrusts you with power that reveals, brings witness, and the Holy Spirit will introduce salvation. It will just happen. So the point being, Obedience brings salvation. Peter and the church obeyed Jesus, found themselves at church with the church. The promise came and the church was born. And on that promised rock, it was built. Apostle Paul. I would say that the story of Apostle Paul and his obedience releases legacy. You know, we, we've, we've been reading a lot of his, um, his letters, parts of his letters today, and, and most of us do a lot. The Holy Spirit breathed them into him and, and he put, puts them down on paper. We see, uh, you know, through, the, through Luke, we see his story in the book of Acts come to life. Uh, we, Paul leaves his obedience released legacy that's probably outside of Jesus. There, there's been nobody else that's ever, that's ever impacted the world with truth like, some, like this man has. Because, because, when Jesus left, he said, what, go into all the world. You know, you're going to be my witness to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And, and Paul was the guy that Jesus called to go to the ends of the earth. And then that trickles down to you and I. So Acts 9, 3 through 6, it said like this, as he journeyed, this is Saul before his conversion to Paul, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now Saul had letters, right? Just come off the, the screens for just a second. Paul had letters. Um, he, was, he was a certified jailer. He, he, was, he could go around arresting Christians at this point, persecuting them. He could probably bring them to death if he wanted to. And so th this is actually what he's doing. He's, he's head on the road to Damascus to go round up more Christians. At that time, it was called the way, people of the way. The Lord said to him, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. A lot of scholars and theologians believe right there what, what Jesus was talking about was Paul was already wrestling on his inside. Like the Holy Spirit was already doing a work on him because Paul was an educated man. He was a Pharisee. He was also a Hebrew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he said, but he was an educated Pharisee who was educated from the best of the best. And he knew what the, what the word said and what the prophecy said about the coming Messiah. And he was there when Stephen, the first martyr, was killed. And so when Stephen, the first martyr, was killed, Paul's sitting there holding, Saul is holding the clothes of him. But all the while, that it's believed, it's greatly believed that the wheels are turning in Paul's head like what this guy is saying is what that Jesus of Nazareth did. And what that Jesus of Nazareth did is all of the stuff from, you know, the Old Testament, but scripture. Like he's kicking against the goat. Something is going on. So he, he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. So Paul had an option right here. He could obey or not. So Saul, blinded by supernatural light, is confronted by a risen and ascended Jesus and given a command. He begins to obey that command, Acts 9, 10 through 16. Now there is a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he, is, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So there's, there's, there's Paul's call right there. He tells Ananias, now Ananias is about to go you know, deal with this thing because he's going to obey Jesus and he's going to go deal with Paul. But he, he lets him know. So th these guys get a few hours to hang out together. They didn't hang out quiet. I'm just saying, they're just like, man, that was wild, wasn't it? Like they didn't, they didn't do that. They had a conversation. Like Paul was aware of his call. I'm, I'm certain of it because of what Paul's next actions were after scales come from his, he starts preaching and doing all this stuff and it actually doesn't work out really great for him. And I'll get into that in just a second. So Ananias obeys even fear uh, and reverence of the Lord and fear of Saul, who Saul is. These are both things that fell on him. Saul's calling is laid out for Ananias to see, and Saul is being called to do the work of Jesus on a grander scale. Listen to me. Some people will hold microphones. Some people will sing songs. Some people will work in libraries, and God knows right now we need librarians who love Jesus. We need, we need librarians that will hold a line for Jesus. Just go Google it. 
You know, we, we need baristas who have a line. That, that, that this is my line and I will stand for Jesus. I'll be used for Jesus. We need people in, 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 in the criminal justice system that will stand for what's right. Stand for Jesus. We need people all over that are willing to do that. So all of our jobs are a little bit different. And Ananias is minding his own business, following Jesus, and now he's going to go get confront. He's going to go confront the guy that literally wanted to kill him three hours ago. So Saul's calling is laid out. And it's important to note right here that Ananias obeys and Saul obeys. Saul was obeying when he was a Pharisee because it was everything that he was taught was right by the law of God. He just missed, he just missed the repentance portion when Jesus came. But then Jesus got him, right? So he had, his life was conducted in obedience and obeying God and now he gets to this point where he's confronted with, a living, with the living God, with Jesus Christ, and he tells him what to do. And Ananias is over here. He gets confronted, and they're both having to obey God in separate areas for the same purpose. There could be a church down the road right now that's going to have an elder board meeting with their senior pastor tonight, and they're cooking up something really, really great. God puts something on their heart, and they have a big piece of that pie in there. And then your pastors and your elders could get together and start cooking something up really great over here and have no idea that over there they're cooking up something, something else. But your body's called to one thing in that process, and they're called to another thing, and you're going to get together because God makes that happen. And something really mighty and grand is going to happen in Spring Hill because of the obedience of two different bodies. This makes sense? And this is what's happening right here. We got two different people choosing to obey Jesus at the same time. And so it's important to know that that happened and that, life, that Paul's life was converted at that moment. And it's also important to know that we have to make sure and understand that Paul was called but not sent yet. This is why it's important to remember what God said originally. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm teaching right now. I'm not even preaching to you. I'm, I'm just telling you it's important to know what God said originally because it is believed that Paul sat for 9 to 13 years before he was actually sent. Now, he had a couple moments where he went out and preached and then people tried to kill him. And then it says in, in, in Galatians 1 that he went into the desert and he did not concur with flesh and blood, but this is where he met with the Holy Spirit. He met with Jesus in the desert and was trained. And then still another six years goes by at least where he is not taking personality tests to find out why God hasn't sent him yet. But he, but he, is, but he is actually... Uh, well, we're going to see he's ministering to God. He is being around people of the faith. He got to Jerusalem and started preaching for two weeks. And the apostles were like, bro, you got to get out of here. You're causing too much grief. Like they sent him home. And then he ends up in Antioch with the Gentile Christians who started that church because Stephen, who Paul was at his death, after that, everybody shot up to, to Antioch. They went up north to start a church because they're getting killed in Jerusalem. And now Paul, who was holding the clothes of Stephen is in these guys missed in Acts 13, the same church that ran from him. Wow. Acts 13, two through three, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the works to which I have called them. 
They're ministering to the Lord. Just before, before service this morning, Pastor Mark said, minister to the Lord. Come on, minister to the Lord. We were just, we we're just praying right here. We're ministering to God. We're loving on God. We're doing, they're ministering to the Lord here. This is why it's important families to be in the church house. Individuals be in the church house. If you could be ministering to the Lord, you have no idea what could happen. You, can know, you have no idea how the Holy Spirit might move and, and call you or somebody else up. It, it, it can happen at any moment. And see, God raises up Barnabas and Saul, two of them together. And this is where he gets sent out to his first missionary journey. So Paul the Apostle waited 10 to 13 years for his call to start, and we can't wait five minutes for a Big Mac. It's, it's really, really important, y'all, just as people who believe that God is still speaking, that he is still doing, that sometimes he will call and then he will train. Sometimes your training didn't come before that. It's coming at the call. You've got to get prepared. There's preparation in it, and he will send you when the time is right. So you get the call and you, and you, and you minister to God on the call. You, you fast and you pray on the call and you wait it out and one day he'll send you. So finally in Paul's life, we know that he was headed towards Asia in one of his ministry journeys, which is modern day Turkey. And uh, the Holy Spirit blocked it. He just, he just said, no, you're not going to do that. He gave him a vision and sent him uh, to Macedonia. Now we won't get fully into this, but I just want, to, want you to know that Grieving the Holy Spirit looks like this. When the Holy Spirit says yes and, and we say no, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, when the Holy Spirit says no and we say yes, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. So Paul, in this situation, is saying yes to the Holy Spirit's no, right? He's like, I'm yes, I'm going to follow your no. I will not go to Turkey. I'm going to turn around, I'll go to Macedonia. We'll go that way. And if Paul doesn't do this, then we would never know we would never know the beauty of the salvation of Lydia, the woman who dealt with purple things in her household, and, and how he went back to her later and how she was doing great things for the Lord. We would, we would never know, we would never have our eyes open to the spirit of divination that takes place, that is filling up church houses today that will speak truth but add confusion in every category. It, it, we, we have to be able to know these things and see these things and discern these things, and he shows us what that looks like. He teaches us to sing and pray in times of imprisonment with lashings on a back. When the world is coming down upon you, when everything in your calling doesn't seem to be going right, when your household and the direction and how you're stewarding that seems to be going sideways, he taught us how to pray. He taught us how to sing in those times. We see that in Paul's life. His obedience leaves a legacy for us to follow. He, he, he goes and teaches the Bereans everything he knows. And then the Bereans go back and they study their word. They study their word and they find out that Paul was accurate. So we learn two things. We learn that Paul was accurate and we learn how to study the word because the Bereans showed us how to do that. And that would never have happened if Paul wasn't obedient to the Holy Spirit. The list goes on with Paul's obedience, but I'm telling you today, it won't only release, and this sounds a little prosperity, destiny in your life, but it will leave a legacy when you're gone. the point obedience leaves a legacy and Paul knew nothing more than to honor God with his life as a Pharisee he honored God as a son he honored God and as a father in the faith to Timothy he honored God can I just tell you that God loves you can I just tell you that if you're in Jesus you're a son or you're a daughter can I tell you you have the spirit of adoption on your life that he's adopted you into the family of God that you have nothing to worry about that your life is justified by Jesus it's just as if you had not sinned. 
When God looks at Jesus, when he looks at you and he sees Jesus standing next to you because he's your advocate and the propitiation of all your sin, can I tell you that nothing, nobody gets to define your calling but God. When God said it, when he chose you, when he brought you into this family, he is raising you up and doing something with your life that's going to change it forever. Now, finally, we're, just, we're, going, to, we're going to end right here. All the bracelet people in the house, what would Jesus do? It's always important that, you, that, that, that we find out what Jesus would do. Not what we think he would do, not what we guess he would do, not that little made-up version of Jesus that's in our head that we're convinced that's what Jesus is and how he looks like and what he operates like. No, the Bible tells us who he is. He is a living king. He's a Lord of lords. He's Savior of all. He has a word that, that, that lets you know his character, his ways, and we follow that. But Jesus, when he started his ministry, he was baptized. And when he was baptized, the Bible says that the, the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. It descended on him like a dove. Not was a dove, but like a dove. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately he went out and fasted for 40 days to a point where his body was starving. And just like Adam and Eve, he was tempted in that fast, that he was confronted by Satan to do the very same thing that Satan did to Adam and Eve in the garden. He got Jesus to think about himself for just a second, but not go into it. So Jesus didn't sin, but Jesus had to, th had to think about it to reply. And what Jesus did as Satan was making promises to Jesus' life, if you do this, I'll give you this. If you renounce that, I'll give you that. And Jesus said, you know, as it's written. So Jesus goes to scripture and I tell our young adults this all the time. I don't care what issue it is in your life. It's, a, it's an obedience to the call. It's obedience to a sin nature. It's obedience to whatever. Jesus gives us the key to this whole situation and it's actually really, really easy and so obvious it pains me. Jesus began to speak truth back over the enemy's lies. And in Matthew 4:11 it says this, then the devil left him. And behold, a prophecy fulfilled. Angels came and ministered to him. The plan is laid out crystal clear. Going back to the beginning when God gives a command, an order or a call, he has said it and it is final. The enemy will always always try to bring doubt lies and fear because he is the father of that. And those that submit to that are his sons and daughters. Jesus said that in John 8. Did God really say that? And some of us might even be saying it now, but Jesus' half-brother James said it just like this. And I love this. James 4, 7 says, therefore submit, therefore obey, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Jesus did that. Jesus showed us what that looks like. Friends, you have to be prepared in and out of season for all things, including attacks from the enemy. You have to know when the temptation comes that there is an alarm clock going inside of you that's saying, I know that that's not good. I know that's temptation. And you speak truth back over. No, 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 I'm a son. No, 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 I'm a daughter. I am bought with a price. His blood spilled for me. I am chosen. I am an heir to this thing. Like you have no control, you have no dominion over me. Who, he who the Son sets free is free what? Indeed. There is a promise for all of us in that. And your first calling is to obey God in these ways. 
Now, would you stand to your feet with me as we get ready to, to, to sing and, and go out into the week and make a difference in the world? Step into our callings. I have a friend when she was 18 years old, she, she came to me and she told me exactly what she was gonna do with her life. Told me what she was gonna do with her life and I believed her because when I was in sixth grade, I felt a call to ministry on my heart. And so I said, young people can get these kind of calls and I still believe it to this day. And she had this call of God on her life and she went to college and uh, still served God all the way through college. We got lined up with, a, with, with somebody else in ministry and decided that, you know, I'm gonna do a similar kind of ministry. I'm just gonna go do it over here instead of where I know God called me to do. And then COVID, <laughs> sometimes COVID was good. It put, put a stop on it. Didn't allow them to go do that thing. But three years later, time rolls on. Time goes on, time goes on. The heart's aching. God's called me to do something. I'm disappointed because I can't do that. And then wakes up one day and God's like, go. And they said, picked up the phone, called that original thing from six, seven years previous. And they said, come on, come on, come on, come on. Because God put it in the heart, God called, and God will continue, continue, continue on that call until we say yes. Now, it doesn't mean like, like this person didn't go to the other thing. It wouldn't have been a sin. She would have found her way to this place because it would have been unfulfilled. God has gifted you. He's put passions in your life. He's called you to do some things. And it's all of our obligation because this is the thing we'll be judged on in eternity. What did we do with our life? What did we do with our life? We are all called to do that. Follow Jesus, submit to him, resist the devil, watch him flee and leave a legacy of obedience. Amen, somebody. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.